If you want to open up to Numbers chapter 22, I am holding in my hands uh, my Bible from my teenage years. And I uh, got this when I was 18, so kind of a teenager still. Um, it has uh, been, it's gone through a lot with me over the years, and uh, gone through kind of my undergrad degree, seminary, pastor training, all that sorts of stuff. Um, it's held together by duct tape. It's so beat up. The staff actually got me a new preaching Bible this last year. Um, and, and so a lot of time I've, I've spent in, in uh, this Bible, and, and what you'll find is I like to take notes, I like to highlight, so I just write all over. And, uh, and we're in a series right now where we're looking at Old Testament stories that we usually don't preach through. And one of the things that I've noticed in kind of preparing these messages is that I come across a passage, and it's like completely blank in my Bible. I haven't highlighted it or written notes on it, and, uh, and it's happened again and again. So in this series, like we, we talked about the Israelites crossing the Jordan River and the memorial stones, the 12 stones that they uh, placed in the Promised Land. We talked about the Valley of the Dry Bones, where these skeletons come alive and things that are dead come to life. Uh, we talked about Elisha, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, Elisha and the bears last week as we drank root beer and ate bacon uh, for Father's Day. Um, and I want to look at another passage today, which again is, is a passage that isn't probably preached on very often. And, uh, and we're just calling these campfire stories. And what I'd like to do is, as we look at some of these old, mysterious, epic, confusing Old Testament stories, just ask the questions, why is this in Scripture? What does it teach us about God and ourselves and the world that we're living in? And how does this form us to be the kind of people God desires us to be? And so the story today takes place in Numbers chapter 22. And it goes like this. There was once a man named Balaam. And he was alive about 3,000 years ago. And he lived in this town off, right next to the Euphrates River. And Balaam was kind of a... a, a a celebrity of his day. He was nationally renowned, internationally renowned. Uh, Balaam was uh, famous for a couple reasons. One is he had a gift. He was known as a seer or a diviner. He had this in, in some sort of spiritual intuition where he could hear from the gods and give this message that would tend to become true. He was kind of like a prophet. He's not a part of... Uh, the Israelite's story, though, he's this kind of obscure figure that comes from this other place. He also has kind of like these superpowers where he would say a curse on things and it would come to be, and he would say a blessing on things and the, th and the blessing would come to be, and people knew this, and for whatever reason, his words had power. So people from all over the Middle East uh, would, would hire him to come and to say words and to speak words into certain situations, whether it was a cursing or a blessing. And so his uh, name and uh, reputation grew, and he became a wealthy person, this man named Balaam. Right about the time Balaam was alive, there was something happening that was interesting kind of in the geopolitical, uh, uh, the, the whole... Uh, politics of the day that was happening that was, was interesting. There was this group of people who were migrating up from Egypt, and it was a powerful people. They were made up of 12 tribes, and uh, they were a people that were numerous, 
Uh, they were coming up through the wilderness. They had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They had been hardened by their circumstances. Uh, they had this belief in this God that was fueling them. And they were able to overcome kind of any obstacle that came their way. And that they were kind of growing in reputation as well. And they had this target. They were moving into this land called Canaan. And they knew this was the land they felt like they had been promised. And so as they were journeying toward that land, anyone that would oppose them, anyone that would get in the way, they would just overcome them. And they were becoming more and more famous. They were getting ready to enter into this land, and they camped out at the border of this country called Moab. And Moab uh, is on the east side of the Jordan River, and they were moving into the west side of the Jordan River, as we talked about in the first week of this series. And as they were camped out and they were planning kind of like to move into this new land, the king of Moab started to worry. And the king of Moab, his name was Balak, or Balak, or Balak. It meant, it basically, what his name uh, meant was literally the devastator. When you become king, you're going to give yourself names like that, the devastator. People are going to call me the devastator now. And the story picks up that Balak, the devastator, sees this group of people come and camp out on his border, and he's worried, and he knows the reputation of how they overcome everything that's thrown at them. And he thinks he might have to go to war with the Israelites, but he's concerned because he knows they're more powerful than him. So what does he do? He calls up this man named Balaam, who's been known for blessing and cursing things, and he goes to Balaam and he says, uh, we will pay you a great sum of money if you will come and curse the Israelites so that we can go to war with them and overcome them. So if you would come and give us a blessing and give them a curse, we'll kind of figure this thing out. And it says that Balak, the, dev the devastator, he's so worried that he's sick with fear. He's sick with fear. It doesn't sound like the kind of person that should be sick with fear, right? The devastator. Uh, yesterday... I was driving up uh, some of the students to camp, and there were seven uh, boys in my van between fourth and sixth grade. So we had the windows down like the entire drive up because it smelled. Um, but my son Micah, this is his first time at camp, was in the front seat. And he, Micah kind of gets, uh, gets nervous pretty easily. And he was really nervous about going to camp and going to be away for like you know five days or whatever. And he's like, my stomach feels... He's like, it just feels really strange. I feel like I'm like panicking. And like we were kind of talking through it, like he doesn't know what he's getting into. Um, and he's like, I just feel sick. And I'm like, are you car sick? He's like, no, it's something else. And it was, it was kind of this uncertainty and fear that he was going to something. It, it was making him physically ill. Like we've experienced fear before, that the kind of fear that makes us sick to our stomach the kind of fear that, that affects us physically. And it says that Balak, the devastator, was so worried about these people that he was sick with fear. Something deep inside of him was turning. So he goes to Balaam and he says, we'll hire you to come and to curse these people so that we can win this victory. So they have this conversation and Balaam receives the offer. And Balaam likes to do this kind of thing for hire. And he says, I'll come. Yeah, that sounds interesting, but before I do that, let me think about it. And as he's thinking about it, in the middle of the night, it says that God comes to him in, in a dream and says, don't do it. It says, these people that he wants you to curse, I have blessed. Do not, bless, do not curse what I have blessed. 
So Balaam wakes up the next day and he says, I'm sorry, guys, I can't do it. I want to do it, but God's not going to go with me to do it, so I'm not going to do it. So this group of people go back to Balak, the devastator, and say, he's not coming. We're on our own. We have to go fight the Israelites by ourselves." And Balak says, well, this, this isn't okay. Like, we're, we're not going to survive. Like, we need to figure out how to get Balaam here to bless this battle, to curse them. So he sends the princes of Moab with more wealth to Balaam's house. They show up and they say, Balaam, we need you to come and curse the Israelites. Like, you have to come. We'll pay whatever it takes. And Balaam kind of thinks, well, if that's the case... He's like, my price is pretty high. Balak would have to give me all the gold in his palace, all the silver, everything that he owns if he wants this to happen. But even then, still, I won't go. So what we find is that there's this negotiation happening, and Balaam is like, I know God told me not to go. I'm not going to go, but we all have a price, right? So again, he goes that night and thinks about it. In the middle of the night, God says, I don't want you to go, but they keep pressing. Go ahead and go. But if you do go, you have to do exactly as I tell you to do. So Balaam wakes up the next day and he goes, how much are we talking again? And they tell him, and he goes, okay, I think God says it's okay, I can go now. Whether or not that happened, we're not sure. But what we find is, here's where the story picks up in chapter 22, verse 21. And it's a crazy story, but let me just read it and receive this. It says, Balaam got up in the morning and he saddled his donkey And he went with the princes, the officials of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. So he's riding on a donkey, and like, donkey turns, swerves, sees this, the angel of the Lord standing in the road. Donkey sees it, Balaam doesn't see it, and the donkey veers off the path. Balaam's frustrated, says that he beats the donkey to get the donkey back on track. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 26, then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she, oh, did I skip ahead? I skipped ahead, sorry. Verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow pathway between two vineyards and the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the Lord, the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot. And so he beat her again. So the donkey swerves into a wall, crushes Balaam's foot. Then verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, the donkey laid down under Balaam, just collapsed. So imagine him riding all of a sudden, he's just sitting there on top of the donkey laying down. And he was angry and he beat her with his staff. Balaam's an angry man, angry man. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Get this, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she, the donkey, said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? So imagine that scene. He's sitting on this donkey that's laying on the ground, and then the donkey speaks. If you're Balaam, you're probably freaking out, right? Like, you're probably thinking, what in the world is happening? But what's interesting is that 
Balaam just, it says, Balaam answered the donkey. You have made me a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And they get into this argument. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Balaam said, no, I guess not. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. So the donkey doesn't surprise him. It doesn't make him freak out. But then when God opens his eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord, all of a sudden he's filled with wonder and he falls on his face. He bows low, falls face down, and the angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. He says, I have come to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. Verse 33, it says, The donkey saw me, turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but the donkey I would have spared. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak, the officials of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town of Arnon on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. And Balak asked, said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I, really not able to re- am I really not able to reward you? I'm going to pay you, is basically what he's saying. He says, well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied. But, I, but can I say just anything? I must speak what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to a place that I can't pronounce. <laughs> what a story. What a crazy story. What do we do with this story? We know a little bit about the backstory, but to recap... Israelites camped out in Moabite, Moabite's king freaking out, sick to his stomach, hires Balaam, who's known for coming and cursing and tipping the tide of battles. They have this debate about what it's going to cost to get Balaam there. Balaam somehow has this voice from God saying, don't do it, but then he realizes how much he's going to get paid, and he says, it's okay, I'm going to go do it. And then as he leaves, he's with his servants riding on the donkeys, and the officials are right behind him, and this angel of the Lord appears to stop him, to stop him. It says the donkey freaks out. It veers one way, comes back in. Angel of the Lord appears again. Donkey veers into the wall. It crushes Balaam's foot. Balaam's freaking out. Imagine the scene behind him if the officials are like, wait, who are we? what did we just do? Who did we hire this guy? We're paying him. He can't even control his own donkey. What's going on? Now he's arguing with the donkey. Like, I can't imagine the absurdity of this scene. If you're the officials, what, you're, what are you thinking? If you're Balaam, what are you thinking? You're supposed to have it all together. There's a, there's a couple kind of initial observations about this story. One is that this, this donkey sees something that Balaam can't see. And what is Balaam known for? Being a seer, for being able to see these spiritual things. And he can't see it. So there's something a little bit humiliating, not just like not being able to control the donkey, but, but the thing that he's supposed to be good at, he can't do. He can't see. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Uh, last week was Father's Day. And we were over at my parents' house, and I was hanging out with my brother. And we were kind of downstairs, and 
Uh, my parents' room is above like the den area, and we were sitting there um, watching TV, and we heard these noises above us. And my brother's like, did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's the creepy sound that we always hear. And I'm like, I know, it's a ghost. And he's like, I know. And we talk about how we always hear the sound coming from upstairs in my parents' house. And my brother's like, there was one time when I was here all by myself, just with Dodger, which is my parents' dog. And I heard that sound, and I was freaking out. So I, like, I kind of like went upstairs to see what was there. And I got to the top of the stairs, and Dodger was standing there, like staring into the room, like frozen and sh- kind of shaking. And he's like, oh, goodness, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, the dog sees something. Like, what does the dog know that I don't know? Um, and I kind of feel like maybe there's something like this going on, like the donkey sees something that Balaam can't see, but there's something humiliating for Balaam who's supposed to be able to see the spiritual things. He can't see it. The donkey does. There's something kind of interesting happening here with that. Then there's something about this story that's interesting because God's having this discussion with Balaam, and Balaam's being real stubborn about it. God says, don't go and do what Balak wants you to do. And Balaam's like, okay. And then he goes. And so there's some strange irony here, uh, like this kind of Jewish storytelling irony where the stubborn donkey that Balaam's having an argument with kind of parallels this argument God is having with Balaam who's being stubborn. So there's something else going on here kind of with that story as well. And then you have the donkey speaking, which we think is just crazy, right? This is like something out of Chronicles of Narnia or Shrek. That's kind of what I'm picturing. Um, There's only one other time in Scripture when an animal talks and it's in the Garden of Eden. You're like, is this really what's happening? Or is he experiencing this donkey saying something? Like, what in the world's going on here? But even that, what's interesting is, is Balaam's not even surprised by it. He actually engages as an argument with this animal. And so one of the things that we hear that, and we're like, oh, it's kind of weird, but in Balaam's day, like he's the seer who like, this is maybe a form of communication for him that's happening regularly. I think Balaam's a little bit crazy. Who knows? There's a lot of weird observations as we just kind of take this story. But what happens is Balaam says, you've made a fool of me to the donkey. I've become a fool in this whole thing. I think there's a couple lessons that we can learn about this story. A couple lessons, I think the first lesson is that there's a whole lot of foolish things happening with the entire story. And I would say that it starts at the beginning. The first foolish thing that happens in this story is it is foolish to assume the worst of others' intentions. And the story starts with Balak, the devastator, assuming that the Israelites are coming for him. He assumes that they're out to get him. And what's interesting in this story is the Moabites aren't the Israelites' target. They're not even worried about the Moabites. They're this people over here. In fact, they're told by God, leave the Moabites alone. So they have no intention to harm the Moabites, but the Moabites are paranoid in thinking that they're out to get us. And I think about in my own life, I so quickly just assume other people's intentions are, are the worst. This is devastating for relationships. It's devastating for community. I just always assume, well, this is probably what they're thinking, and I I think it's because of me, and it's all about me, and they're trying to get me. There's a form of, like, narcissism in this worry, and it's, it's kind of like false wisdom projecting. I don't know if it's like this primal instinct, but I do it so often. I just assume people are, like, out to get me. It's really fun for Marcy. Um, there's this old like worship song 
this old worship song that's uh, it's singing about God, and it's like, it's, it's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, the glory of your name. Marcy will flip that song on me when I'm worrying about something and I'm processing with her. She'll sing, it's not about you, Jared. This isn't about you. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, yeah, you're right. This isn't about me. And so often I just assume it's all about me. And I think this is what's happening with Balak here. It's not about you. They're not even coming for you. In fact, you're like distant relatives to these people. They don't want to harm you. And yet because of your, your paranoia that has made you sick, because of your worry of your own self-preservation, because of, of all of this, it's led to these events that has made a lot of people just look foolish. It's foolish to just assume other people's intentions are bad. The second thing that I think that uh, is foolish is, it is foolish to be for what God is against. And it's foolish to be against what God is for. It's foolish to be for something that God is against, and it's foolish to be against something that God is for. And here we have Balaam, who knows and hears from God not to do something, and yet decides to do it because the price is worth it for him. And God says, don't curse something that I've blessed. I've got these plans over here with these people who I have called to be a priestly nation, who I have blessed so that they may be a blessing, and they're going to move into this super destructive political and religious system with this new way to be human that is made in the image of God. And you're trying to disrupt that. It's foolish to be against the things that God is for, and it's foolish to be for the things that God is against. This is some conventional wisdom when it comes to the ways of God in this world. And I think it's important for us as God's people to align our hearts to the heart of God. This requires prayer. This requires discernment. This requires reflection. So often we think our prayers, what we're trying to do is we have this own desire that we want, and it's almost like we're trying to get God on board with our desire. But so often what prayer does is it aligns our heart with the purposes of God in this world. And to go against those purposes is foolish. It's foolish to be for the things that God is against and against the things that God is for. Third thing that I think is foolish, it is foolish to place our own advancement, success, and reputation Above God's plan. It is foolish to place our own advancement, our own reputation, our own success above God's plan. And I think what's happening here with Balaam, and here's the thing, we don't really know if Balaam's good or bad. The rest of the scripture isn't really good to Balaam. It talks about him being corrupt. But he hears a word from God. God says, don't go, don't do it. And he's enticed by, for him, more wealth, Maybe a a better story that that brings more fame into his life, a better reputation. And he's like, I really want to do it. And what we find is that God allows him to do it. God allows a lot of things that God doesn't approve of in this world. We live in this broken world where oftentimes the Lord will just give us over to our own desires. He doesn't override our will. And here in this story, we have Balaam putting his own success, his own advancement over the will of God in his life. And it's something that is foolish. It's something that leads him on the wrong path. 
And the fourth foolish thing that happens here with Balaam is that it's foolish to try to use God for your own gain. We know that for whoever Balaam is and whatever his gifts are of being a seer and a diviner, he somehow has this connection with God, but he's not a servant of God. Not like the prophets of the Old Testament. He's trying to use God for his own gain. He's not a servant of God. And, and he hears from God, but he doesn't have a relationship with God. And he ends up down this path that's so, so destructive for God's purposes that God sends an angel of the Lord with a sword to stop him. It is foolish to try to use God for our own gain. God wants our hearts. And what's interesting is, yes, God wants us to, to, to experience life to the full. God wants us to flourish here on earth. But when we have our own agenda that we simply are trying to get God on board with, so often our own understanding leads about to destruction. These are some lessons that we learn. The donkey makes him look like a fool. Here's some things that I've learned about God from the story. And I think this is something that, that we, when it comes to our understanding of God and how we're navigating in this world, is first is this, that, that God can use events in our life to get our attention. This doesn't mean that everything that happens he's doing to us. This doesn't mean that the pain in our life is all caused by him. But there are certain situations where God will use a circumstance to get our attention. And I think especially when it has something to do with something that he specifically called us to do to help accomplish his purposes. Uh, and in this story, the Israelites are coming in to be this certain kind of people, and they're going to be a blessing to the nations, and he's trying to disrupt that, and he's on the wrong path, and God uses this circumstance to get his attention. Some of maybe the older people in here would say, I have experienced this before. I start down the wrong path, and all of a sudden something happens, and it's like, that was God getting my attention. This is one of the ways that I think God works. He'll use circumstances to get our attention. Not because he doesn't want us to have like fun things in life, but because he truly cares about what's best for us. And in this story, I believe that he wants what's best for Balaam. And Balaam is going down the wrong path, and the angel of the Lord says, you are heading down a path of destruction for you and for the purposes and plan of what God has for this place. And he uses the situation with a donkey to get Balaam's attention. The second thing is that God opens Balaam's eyes to see. God opens Balaam's eyes to finally see. God reveals himself to Balaam in the midst of this really confusing situation. He opens up his eyes. It's interesting, he opens up the donkey's mouth and Balaam hears something, but then he opens up Balaam's eyes and Balaam sees something. I am wearing glasses. This is like about a year anniversary of me wearing glasses. Uh, I went 35 years of my life without glasses. My eyesight probably started to go somewhere around, I don't know, 20, 21, and I just never noticed it was a slow dulling of the eyes. I realized one time 
I needed glasses. I woke up in the middle of the night, and we have one of these old alarm clocks. It's like, like the red digital clock. And I remember like looking across the room to see what time it was, and it, was, it just looked like this red blur. And I remember thinking, like, I was like rubbing my eyes, trying to think, like, oh, I just must be tired. I must have like goop in my eyes. I don't know. I can't see it. I'm like, that's weird that I can't see it. It's like not even 10 feet from me. Like, wake up in the morning, and I'm like, I had the weirdest thing last night. I was trying to, to look, I told Mars, trying to look across the room and see our alarm clock, and I couldn't see it. And then I'm like, it was just because it was late at night. And then I looked across the room, and sure enough, it was blurry. And I was like, I, don't, I think I need to go to the doctor. Like, I can't see things. Sure enough, I go to the doctor, have an eye exam, the first eye exam in my life. And uh, they're like, well, your vision's terrible. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. I'm like, I don't know. I could, like, drive and function and just never assumed. And, and part of it is, like, I, you know, I'm an athlete. And, like, I don't want to wear glasses. And I used to be an athlete, at least. And, and so I've never been like humble enough to go to the eye doctor. And, and they give me this prescription. And I remember like I, I go to Warby Parker online, get these glasses. And I remember for the first time putting on glasses and seeing the world as it's supposed to be. It was this amazing experience. All of a sudden, it was like everything was sharp. Everything had detail. I remember driving home uh, from when I, when I, or the first time I drove after I got the glasses, I could see like flies flying through the air as I drove. I'm like, whoa, this is like this whole world that I've never, I haven't seen in years. All of a sudden, I could see the world that it was as it was supposed to be. And I think that this is what God does with us. So often, like our own uh, wear and tear in this life and our own, we, we just, our eyes become dull to the things that God is doing around us. And God has this way throughout scripture again and again of opening up our eyes so that we could see. He opens up Balaam's eyes, and all of a sudden he realizes there's this, there's this angel of the Lord sitting right in front of me, trying to keep me from going down this destructive path. There's something about this story that reminds me of Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion in the New Testament. There's this story in, in Acts where, where his name's Saul, his Hebrew name's Saul, his Greek name's Paul. He's traveling down the road, and, and Jesus appears to him. And, and much like the, the story of Balaam, Balaam's going to, to, to bring destruction to God's people, the Israelites, with a curse. Paul's persecuting the church. And in this story, uh, Balaam's eyes are open. Paul sees this thing, and he, it blinds him. But then eventually, it's like scales falling from his eyes. He can see again. And in this story, God has a word for Balaam to do. And in the story of Paul, God has a word for him, which leads to the last thing, is that God directs us. God directs us. God directs Balaam. He tells them what to do. There's guidance here. And it's not until Balaam's finally able to, to stop, to think, and to see clearly what's happening, he's able to receive the direction that God gives him. Directs Balaam to do something. What happens in this story when Balaam shows up to Balak, He's supposed to come with a curse. That's what he's getting paid for. And he gives the word of the Lord, and he blesses Israel. And Balak is like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. That's not what we hired you to do. Don't do that. What? And he blesses Israel and says their purposes of God are going to be accomplished now in this story. God directs our steps. As we hear this story, it's this goofy story about a donkey speaking, and yet I think there's some something deeper happening here about how God works in our life, using our circumstances to get a hold of us, to take us from passive destruction to lead us to paths 
of, of experiencing life that is truly life. And if we let God do this, if we're open to what God has for us, he will open our ears to hear, he will open our eyes to see, and he will direct us in the way that we should go so that his purposes can be accomplished in our life. That we experience life that is truly life, and we lean into this bigger story of what God is doing with all the people around us, which brings about blessing, which brings about flourishing, which brings about God's will and his kingdom here on earth. So today, Tim's going to come back up. As we, as we think about this story and we think about these uh, observations and these lessons that, that God has for us in this old campfire story, what is God speaking to you today? Maybe it's something that he's, he's opening up your ears to hear a message, maybe from a, a fool or a donkey like me, or from someone else around you. And he's speaking to you in some way that you wouldn't expect, and it seems unconventional, but God's speaking to you today, giving you direction, maybe telling you the path that you're on is, is a path of destruction. It's not what I have planned for you. Maybe God is opening your eyes today to say, Look out. Here's a warning. Here's what I'm up to in the situation. I want you to see it and to see it clearly. Maybe God is directing you with a direction that you know that you need to, to, to follow so that his purposes may be accomplished. I'm not sure what it is. But I know when our ears are open, when our eyes see, when we allow God to direct us, we experience the life and the purposes that he has for us. Today we're going to close with a time of communion. Communion is, uh, for us, a time of response. This is a sacred space. Um, the communion represents this gospel story that we're a part of as, as a church. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. We believe that this is this great act of love of God in this world as he came into this world. And through the breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood, we experience life that is truly life. And we come to this table to remember and to proclaim this message. And as we come to this table today, maybe we need to just allow God to open our ears, to open our eyes, and to direct us. Today, as we come to the table, let's think of those things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this story. What an interesting story, Lord, that takes place over 3,000 years ago in a world that is much different than ours, in a culture that's much different, and yet humans are human. We're reminded of uh, foolish choices we make out of fear, making assumptions that aren't accurate of others. We're reminded of how we're so easily enticed to chase after things that aren't of you. And we're reminded of your goodness to us, Lord, that you put certain things in our path to lead us from going down paths of destruction. That you are working in us and you are working beyond us. Lord, today I pray that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our eyes to see clearly what you are up to 
in the midst of our circumstances. And Lord, that you would direct us into paths that don't lead to destruction, but paths that lead to life. Meet us here today, Lord. We give you this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.